Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is HR Learning, the podcast. And we are joined from another guest from the United States of America, a former colleague of mine as well, Lee Webster. Hello, Lee. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to uh, HR Learning podcast. I'm excited to be here. It's nice to see you again, Brian. Good. It's great to have you. And what we often do at the beginning, too, is just take um, uh, a little commercial break. So, Fahad, why don't we take a short one and we'll be back with Lee Webster. Yeah, exactly. Let's take for a break, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I learned a lot as a mentor. Say, make us think um, that they said it was rather than because you're in the webinars. That way you spread. What really interesting. When we started this program, the tagline for this was Okay, everyone, we're back. And as I mentioned just before the break, a good friend and former colleague of mine from the United States, Lee Webster, is joining us. And uh, where exactly are you right now, Lee, in the U.S.? I'm in, uh, just outside of Houston, Texas. So if you know anything about NASA and the space program, it's just down the street from where I live. I, I know that area fairly well. I've made, I forget the highway name, but it, the corridor between Houston and Galveston, I, I frequented many times, drove by the NASA uh, mm -hmm. off-ramp and... Uh, I did uh, pool table shopping in Houston before, and uh, what is it? The Galleria is one yes, of the big fashion here. malls there. Yeah, so we have a Galleria in Abu Dhabi as well. That's it's very popular for the brand name. So there's a consistency there. So welcome, welcome, and and thank you for joining us in our our podcast. And we know that you have a session with us on Tuesday, and you're going to be talking about human capital reporting standards. And we just wanted to have before that session maybe a bit more informal discussions about uh, your background, some of your thoughts on this. Um, well, I mean, you've been working on it for quite a few years now. Um, maybe just start by telling the audience a bit about your background. Sure. Thank you. So um, born and raised in the United States uh, in Chicago. Uh, spent a lot of my life in the Midwest of the United States, both Chicago and Detroit, Michigan. Um, from uh, high school. I went to the United States Military Academy, graduated from there in the mid-80s, uh, and was in the Army, U.S. Army Infantry for several years. Decided to leave the military services and went to graduate school at Northwestern University and got my MBA and my law degree while I was there. And since then, I've spent, uh, uh, I guess, a career in the human resource management function in companies like Exxon and Pepsi and, and most recently University of Texas medical branch. Um, the reason why I mention those as a kind of a precursor is it, it suggests and it kind of lays out why I'm involved in standards. I started my educational background at West Point in engineering. I went mm -hmm. to graduate school and learned law and business. And what I found is that, and then of course I spent my career in human resource management. And what I found is that the engineering, the legal background, and an understanding of business is what this standardization program that I'm involved in is all about. So it, it's kind of form fitting for me. And then of course doing a human resource management job has given me exposure to human resource management and a lot of different organizations and levels within organizations. And it has reinforced my view that a lot of what we do in human resource management can be done consistently, similarly, uh, can be measured across not only an organization, 
but multiple organizations, in fact, in different sectors, that although we bring a unique value to what human resources is, where we perhaps combine the most value in, in kind of the near term is providing more structure, more certainty in what we do so that we're not being unnecessarily redundant. So my background has, has led me to this as much as my intention to go to work for Sherm. Right. And that's where you and I met. We were overlapping at Sherm. You were there before I was. I was an active volunteer and you were in charge of um, the HR standards project. And when I found out about that, I, I sought you out and we met, I met you at a conference and said, Lee, anything I could do to help, let me know. And you've been a great support of, of enabling me as well to help advance this. And it, you know, it takes a, takes a village, doesn't it, Lee? It's not, uh, anyone's, uh, person's, uh, flag to wave, but I think you made a really good point earlier about sort of the background of people who get why this project is, uh, potentially such a game changer in our, in our profession and in our space is that, you know, I, I, my first academic studies were in finance. And so my, one of my first courses, someone puts a book in front of me called gap principles, right? Generally accepted accounting principles. And they, they basically said, okay, memorize this. This is your, you know, this is your future. And as a student, as a younger person, you just, okay, I need to do, if nothing else, for a test. And it indoctrinated me in, in how other types of work and other professions have sort of these generally accepted principles, you know, in the international context, the international financial reporting standards. And anytime you talk to a finance person and you say, well, this project is kind of like GAP or IFRS for HR, you know, that's it. They get it right away. And there's, that's it. Let's move on to the next part. But when you talk to HR people who don't come from a more either scientific engineering finance background, um, often it's a difficult sell. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair. One, one of the things that I, and I love my profession, I've enjoyed being a part of it, um, is that a lot of HR professionals enjoy the kind, I use the word elasticity of the field in that uh, when you join an organization, you can pretty much make, make HR what you think it needs to be and align managers who are involved in that organization let you do it because they yeah. believe you understand the laws that affect it. And also, since we're dealing with human beings, we need to be more flexible in how we manage them. And if that's true too, in a sense, even in the standards work, one of the things I tell people is that my goal is not to standardize things to the point that we treat people like they're machine parts, um, that we have tolerances and the like. But while we're focusing on making sure that we create workplaces that are humane and that people can fully express their capabilities, we also have to recognize that there are certain fundamental principles of how you manage people that cut across organizations. And that in a business environment, one of the things that's very important to do for at least management is to understand what are the risks associated in making decisions and the benefits. And right now, in my view, human resource management in general is managed in such a uh, proprietary, unique, um, individualistic way, depending upon an organization. It's very difficult for a business leader to determine Am I getting the most out of my HR organization? Am I getting the most out of my people? And how do I really compare that to my competitors? Or if not my competitors, others. And so the goal that I've always had in the standardization effort 
is to standard as little as necessary and and yet as much as needed and as little as necessary starts with me with metrics we can all um, measure turnover more accurately and more consistently we can all measure other metrics in human resources more interoperably and so if we can make progress in that we've made really great progress in identifying the value that human resources creates rather than just the cost that it manages it's so well said and you know i i got into hr after studying finance because i felt that learning finance in you know the early 90s that oh you know what a computer can do a lot of this and mm-hmm. that's not where the real value add the real value add is how organizations and people come together in this unique sort of serendipity of of human energy and uh, i think it, it just i think that's one of the challenges i have you you mentioned something earlier in that your comment one of the things that drives me crazy is that when you talk about the value out of hr so many hr people's job security comes from whether or not their boss likes them right yeah. it's not about the value they add to the organization or how knowledgeable they are in the profession, whether you break that down into smaller sections of recruiting or employment law, it's really uh, credibility with your boss. And I, wow. I even go as far as, yeah, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I even go as far as most HR professionals or most HR people, I won't say professionals who do this work, don't really think they add value. They think they manage a process or they go through a process. And as long as they don't damage the organization or there aren't too many complaints from employees, then they're fine. But you have to come at this if you believe in the standardization effort. You have to come at it with a fundamental belief that HR adds wealth, human wealth, intellectual wealth, whatever, way you define wealth, but it adds wealth to the organization. It's as much a wealth contributor as the operational aspects of the business or the organization. If you have that understanding, then you say, well, if we're creating wealth, if we're creating value, how is it measured and how can we compare it across our competitors and others? If we're creating wealth and creating value, shouldn't we codify, shouldn't we write down how we do that and is there, is there a consistent way across organizations or across areas of work that we all can start with? One, one of the beauties of the standardization program, and, I, and I've, I spent a lot of time talking to people in developing countries, mm-hmm. is that it provides uh, HR organizations or companies in developing countries a platform from which to step off from a human capital standpoint. Um, and it can be very expensive going to consulting firm Y or using some other kind of resource to do that. A standard is a way for a developing country or an organization in a developing country to have some parity with their larger competitors in developed countries. So it, from an international trade point of view, it is an initiator of that type of trade, whether it's a talent or the actual products that they make, because the, the organizations that you're working with are closer in parity. There's an opportunity to, to work with a company that has personnel and you know that they, or employees, and you know that they follow the standard in order to manage it, 
So a large company like a Toto or a GE would be more interested in working with that smaller country, company in that developing country because they know they're using these standards, and I'm speaking of the ISO standards, as a foundation on how they manage their people. It's, it's a risk reduction strategy, which is another way to help build wealth. Yeah, I had a, a student of mine maybe three, four years ago call me up in a panic here in the UAE saying, Brad, Brad, my boss just asked me, you know, is our turnover rate, is that above, below, or at industry standards? What is it, Brad? Help me find out. Like, where can I look at that? And I said, okay, we don't have that in HR. Yeah. We don't. You know, you can do your own calculation, but your competitors may actually do a different calculation and there's no standardization for that. And, and she was just flabbergasted. You know, she had gone through this whole process of upskilling and getting a certification. And then she calls her instructor and her instructor, you know, is like the, you know, the kimono, you know, you sort of show your kimono. We don't have that. We don't have the basics. Right. And, right. And, and, and so it, it's, it's really exciting, I think, and I, I'm pretty sure you feel the same as what something that's happened this year in the United States. I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours. I won't mention his name because I didn't get his permission beforehand, but he works for a UK-based HR entity uh, association. And I asked him, you know, how do you think the standard pro process is going to go to another level? And he interestingly said, you know, it's going to happen in the U.S. Something's going to happen. And he gave me the specifics, but I want you to, you to tell the story that there's going to be a requirement in the, in the markets for something related to human capital. So tell me, you know, what, what happened this year? What happened of, of profound significance in this uh, HR standards discussion and uh, project? Sure. So uh, for your listeners and viewers, Imagine two things are going on in parallel. One is a standardization effort to try to figure out what are those measures and metrics that uh, should be consistently reported or at least made aware of within organizations and to those who invest in organizations. And that's been ongoing for, or had been ongoing for several years. And a standard actually has been produced, ISO 304, one four is a standard where organizations can report information about human capital consistently with anyone else who follows the standard globally, not only internally to their boards and to their management, but it also, it gives them a pathway to communicating that information externally to investors or people who would care to invest. That's one track. The other track is in the United States, and this was actually independent of the standardization effort, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the organization, the federal organization in the United States that regulates how securities are issued and the kind of information you need to have in securities or investment information, um, recently had a uh, provided guidance. And this is the first time they provided guidance on this kind of subject, on human capital subjects, in over 30 years. So this was a, a major decision. But the chairperson, the chairman of the, U, of the SEC has decided that human capital information should be more uh, prevalent and more visible when you issue stock. When you invest in a company, you should see more information about human capital. So what he did is he issued guidelines of what should be in there. 
And remarkably, many of the guidelines of the metrics that should be included, like turnover and uh, number of employees and training that's done, and, and, and there are several others, um, mirror quite nicely to what the standard says. So uh, that, it, that directive has come out. And so companies that want to uh, promote their stock in the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or anything in the United States are going, are going to be required to communicate at least some information consistent with that guideline about how they manage their human capital. And so one of the things that we're excited about with respect to the standards is, and we've communicated that to the Securities and Exchange Commission, is that, well, here's a pathway. Uh, and it's a pathway that actually has measures and metrics in it. It's global so that you can compare not only what's going on in companies in the United States, but you can do it globally. And in fact, even the federal government in the United States could use the uh, algorithms and the methodologies that are in the standards and the metrics that support it to issue national data, um, you know, aggregated data through the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And so we're really excited. This is a time where you're, you, you hear the term tipping point. This is the time where there's a tipping point, tipping point starting to emerge about human capital being relevant and being available. Uh, that was also some of the other things that people would say about human capital. We can't get that data. You have professionals coming up in organizations who are called uh, analytics or workforce analytic professionals. So there's a line of people whose main job is to gather all this data and make it available to at least the internal management. All we're saying is now you have a pathway of making it available to external management. For me, the thing that is most important and what, what could either make this wildly successful or hinder its progress is our HR professionals ready to communicate in a analytic, analytical way about human capital. In my upbringing academically, and from what I can see, other than some very specific kind of coursework, there's not a lot out there to prepare HR professionals to sit in front of a board of directors or to sit in front of a bunch of investors and talk about how we're managing the workforce effectively in language that they understand, even though we've now are going to make it available in a quantitative way. So what's exciting about the work you're doing is that it allows us to start a dialogue about, okay, so what, how do I need to think and operate differently so that I can use these tools that are emerging and, are, and that are going to be required to be used and talk intelligently with business leaders and investors about how human capital influences the value of their investment. And if I hear what you're saying too, is this project was not driven by HR per se, you know, the SEC project, it was driven by the investment community. Yes, absolutely. In a sense, demanding this from organizations and just this, in a sense, uh, opportune um, fact that, that the ISO project had developed a set of standards and the SEC is, without saying specifically use this or this, they're saying here are some potential uh, tools that organizations can use that would be in compliance with, with their requirement. Is that fair? That, that's fair. And again, there's other organizations with, with approaches uh, to communicate this kind of information to investors. Uh, we just think that the ISO tools, because when you create a standard, you bring in experts from across the world and they're not necessarily just experts to human resources. We had people from the investment community, uh, from finance, 
from just mainline businesses. We had people from across the globe coming together and saying, you know what, if you want to talk to me or talk to people who invest in my company about human capital, this is what, how you do it, and this is what's calculated, and this is what we're comfortable with. So we got that kind of consensus. Not, actually, we had a real consensus about what this uh, data should be. Ongoing, the same committee that developed that standard, if you look at the standard now, 30414, it has a description of what those metrics should be or measures should be, but it doesn't go into a lot of detail about how to actually calculate it. Very soon what's coming is the actual calculations for each of those elements. So what we have in the document currently is a guideline. You mm -hmm. can follow it, but what the purpose of the guideline is, that, is for you is to make sure in these categories of human resource management, you're at least capturing and reporting this data. What will come very soon is, and oh by the way, if you want to calculated specifically in these categories. Here is, here's the measure, here's how you calculate it, maybe even including some examples of how to do it. So what I'm seeing eventually happen is that we're gonna move from, and this happened also with ISO 9000 and quality, we're following the same trajectory where you start out with a guideline to get people um, acclimatized and comfortable with the fact that now we're moving into a different type of space and this space in this case will be more quantitative in HR to a period where people will get accustomed to it. And then finally, we're gonna have a methodology for folks to calculate it precisely so that you can make more precise decisions about how you're managing your workforces. And that's gonna make it help, helpful for people when they're transferring talent across country, across countries or even within a country. So there's more to come. And then there's, of course, the training that I mentioned before that needs to come to get people up to speed, not only for HR professionals, but for line management to understand and investors to understand what they're doing. Um, their certifications, and that's one of the things that I'm working on right now to actually create a certification program so that organizations can uh, communicate to their marketplace. We know how to use 30414 effectively to communicate uh, measures to people. Um, and so it creates its own kind of ecosystem. In the long run, what we'll see, and this is me projecting a bit, Fair is enough. that it will raise the, not only the value of the organizations, because they'll be able to value those assets, the people that they haven't so far, but it'll raise the meaning and significance of being a human resources professional. And I foresee that most HR professionals or many HR professionals being eligible for the top leadership roles in organizations because people recognize most of the value that is created in that organization comes from the ability to lead and manage people effectively. And who better to not only teach that but do that would be the HR professionals. So I see CEOs coming out of the HR rank, which much more um, normalcy than yep. it is right now. Yeah, it's, um, it's so much to think about. And, you know, again, I want to give you so much credit for your persistence over the years to get to where we are right now and people in this space. And it's not a large group, but they know that um, you played a central role in this. You are playing a central role and that this element of persistence is so critical to get through some of these bureaucracies, get through some of these, um, this inertia 
Um, and, and we are our own worst enemy as HR. And it's a very small cohort of HR professionals who will say, I want this information. I want to demonstrate the value that I'm adding. I want to compare my HR organization, my organization's performance to other organizations in a more objective, um, competitively advantageous way. And as you said, right at the outset, so many people fell into HR with just the opposite mindset. I'm right. going to, and part of it is they learned it on the job, right? They, they, oh, the more I can define this territory, the more I control what it is, my job security, all of these types of things. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, I believe, you know, you, you, you commented for yourself before. I'm going to comment for myself. I believe it's one of the reasons why HR is so disrespected in many organizations and, and fields because we, we come in and we say we're this high value added function, but we can't quantify that can't in a standardized it. way. We can't prove it. And we're not willing to be competitive about it in a, in a constructive way. And that's what other professions do. You know, and, 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 yeah. and Brad, other professions, they're leaders of other professions, hold them are comfortable being held accountable. Absolutely. And but here's a finish Brad, your thought, Lee. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was saying you're comfortable being accountable. But let me say something positive about all this about sure. HR it is right now. I see a generational shift and it's based upon technology. Yeah. When I get in front of folks who are, you know, mid-career and earlier, they are highly enthusiastic about this standardization effort yeah. and want to know more. And they're actually expressing language like, well, why isn't this already this way? I mean, this doesn't <laughs> make sense, you know, and yeah. it's because they're used to using data. They're used to being around data, whether it's playing video games or it's using their phones, data doesn't frighten them. And in fact, they're more accustomed to having this data uh, at hand right now, rather than having to wait for it. When you get to generations with gray beards like me and others, um, data has often been seen as a threat yeah. or a tool or a cudgel that could be used against you rather than something that you absolutely need in order to get better. So I, what I think will help promote and, and kind of energize this effort, and, and it'll take maybe a decade or so to get it to the point where we would really like it to be, is uh, you're having people come up through the system that say, of course, I want this information. And of mm -hmm. course, we can compare this. Why couldn't we? And it is relevant and useful. And it is interoperable. And it's kind of silly. We don't have it already. And so that's the exciting thing. We're going to see a generational change in how human capital data is used. And I want HR to be at the forefront because, Brad, like you know and I do, if it's not, some other part of the organization will take control of this. I'm thinking of the finance department and they'll yeah. be in charge of human capital data. And then HR will clearly be relegated to a kind of a second tier level in an organization. So it has to embrace the future or the future will, will roar past it. I couldn't agree more. And I just had sort of one question. And I also wanted to make sure that Fahad had a couple of questions too, is, is, when you're like we are in the UAE and in emerging markets, you know, when you talk about the SEC in New York City and, and huge multinationals and, you know, the Fortune 500, the Fortune 50, how do you convince those emerge? And I know you touched upon it a bit earlier, but let, let's say that 
Fahad and I want to go into organizations and sort of emphasize the value add from an emerging market point of view. Help us understand how something in the United States and the SEC and human capital reporting can, and I know you used the word global earlier, but I'm asking you to sort of embellish upon that. Sure. So one of the things, and again, we're talking more in metrics, but it also can talk in practices too. Um, I've had people from other countries, once they found out we're creating these HR standards, come to me and say, well, okay, what, how, how does this help me? Well, one way it helped in, in, in kind of an international trade or international investment point of view. One of the things that uh, I've learned working with other countries is that they want to get involved in, in doing business in the United States, but it's finding mm-hmm. it's often difficult to do so or ex- more, more accurately, more expensive to do so because there's so many different practices in different states or different regions or different even sectors. One mm-hmm. of the beauties of standardization is that it gives you a way to join into the marketplace in a, in a country that you're interested in, in participating in and you know that there is a consistent platform of expectations you can follow. So we have a standard for uh, uh, recruitment, how mm-hmm. to recruit people. Uh, and again, one thing to make sure that your uh, viewers and listeners know, uh, standards do not, uh, the national laws, the local national laws are always supersede any standard. And we all recognize that. Yeah. But there's lots of room with respect to human capital where an organization, if they follow the standards, it gives them an entree point into the economy of a country they want to enter. And so from a practices standpoint, it gives you a way to, to set up your business and know from a workforce or human capital point of view, you're doing it in a way that is effective and appropriate. From a metrics point of view, it gives you the language you need in order to understand how that marketplace operates from a human capital standpoint and leverage the talent that are in that that's in that marketplace. So a UAE company or a company in, in that region of the world, once our standards are more are adopted more widely, uh, can have a toolkit to go into virtually any country and start business in that country from a human capital standpoint, from a hiring people, from a, a, a from a diversity and inclusion management, from a workforce planning point of view, because one of the standards is workforce planning, and use that toolkit to set up the human capital aspects of their business with much more fluidity and, and we believe, a lot less cost or errors because they have a standard they're following. Absolutely. Fahad, I know I've kind of run on on these questions and it's, you know, I, I take the, any opportunity I can to sort of pick Lee's mind on these topics because he's such a wealth of knowledge, but um, some questions from you? I have a lot of questions. There's yeah. A yeah. Lot of questions. <laughs> Notes and questions. That's a good sign. Yeah. So good sign. Uh, I would love to have, have a lot of questions, but I just want to clarify something. Probably um, this is one of the, the biggest uh, I could say uh, backflow in HR is always you don't see an HR representative in the executive roundtable or even right. meeting. I think that's why it's, it's to be either they're being downgraded or somehow kind of disrespected or not having that much of respect value in, in the executive community. So I think this is one of the things that hopefully might change, but it's also about, I think, the responsibility. So as you guys mentioned, I think, if, if HR is not going to take this responsibility for some reason, finance will take it. So someone mm-hmm. later will be taking that responsibility. And I think 
if HR is not going to take this responsibility, so I think there is no, I, I don't think why do they exist even there? So this is one of the things, but I have, a, I have one of them. My main question is when we talk about standards, I think there's a lot of confusion when, when we talk about standards and, and, and the point of uh, a lot of people from different industries. And a standard means when you have specific parameters or metrics that you have to achieve. Like for example, customer experience, you need to achieve at least 85, 90%, which is as per the global practice standards that you need to achieve it. And this is also across the hospitality, leisure entertainment, probably banking and so on. So when we refer to a standards, do we refer as, as a metrics only, or we do refer, do we have specific objective uh, goal line that we have to achieve? Good question. So I'm coming at it, my response to the question is coming at it from an ISO, the International Organization of Standardization perspective. So, uh, because each country, in fact, you can go to each individual organization, they have a different, con they have their own concept of what a standard, what a standard practice, what even standard metrics might be. And so that's always a challenge when you go into a country and talk about internal standards because they could vary. But if you're talking about it from a global point of view, from an, from an again, ISO point of view, I actually come at it from, a, from the, their perspective. It is a consensus view, meaning of the experts, and they use that term as those who understand the subject matter uh, and, are, and are recognized as understanding the subject matter in an expert, with an expertise. Experts have a consensus about a, either a metric, how we calculate something, or a practice, how we do something. And so standards can be both. They can be a way to calculate something or measure something, and that by consensus we all say, yes, that's how we should do it from this point forward. And it also, as I said before, can be a practice. Uh, whether it's from this point forward, when we recruit people in or for organizations, we should follow these steps. At a minimum, we should do these types of things if we consider our recruitment activity to be effective. Um, so these standards in the HR space cover both tracks, both practices and measurements. And then of course, even and this not to get too complex here, within the standardization, you can have different types of standards. So imagine those two tracks. Within those two tracks, ISO standards can be guidelines, which are standards that, and it sounds a little oxymoronic, but they're standards that give recommendations, but you don't have to follow them, but you, but you wanna have something to get you started, for lack of a better term, moving down those tracks. And the standards can be written in, in a format where they're requirements. And this is what we're all think about with standards, that they're requirements. You must follow these this specific way in order to get value out of them. So if you can imagine that matrix of practices and metrics that can be guidelines and standards, you begin to get a sense of the environment of standardization that is emerging in human resource management. Totally agree. Yeah. Over to you, Brad. So I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I think you know we've gone a bit over our time, and want to remind anyone listening that he's going to do another session with us on Tuesday as a as a learning session webinar. Really look forward to that, no question. But I think the last question I had to leave again tips on something that you said earlier. 
you said that the standard on human capital reporting is going to be updated with some more specifics. Any, any update on that update, when that might sure. be happening? So I just heard uh, last week that it's the, the metrics. In the human capital standard, there are nine categories of metrics, uh, recruiting metrics, uh, mm -hmm. health and safety metrics. Imagine there's nine. Um, and so what the, the committee that developed that standard has been doing is taking each of those nine areas that have multiple measures within them and creating the specific algorithm or calculation for each of those multiple measures. My understanding is that they'll be done with that first quarter of next year with mm -hmm. the final votes that need to occur with that. They'll publish those documents. They'll make them um, a guideline document so that you can use their metrics or you can use your own still as long as you're calculating within those categories. But my sense is within the next three to five years, they'll make the decision to make them requirements that this is how you now must calculate or shall calculate these metrics, which will be a good thing because once the uh, marketplace has got accustomed to calculating these things, the transition should be, let's do this consistently so that we can get real knowledge out of how things are going rather than all this variability, which unfortunately occurs right now. So I'm very excited about the future. We're gonna see some new metrics come in to the marketplace, uh, maybe even some new practices come in, and it's an opportunity for HR and also academics in HR to elevate the game and demonstrate to leadership throughout the world that HR is here creating value for your organizations. Wonderful final thoughts. And again, we really look forward to your session on Tuesday. And uh, again, thank you for all the work you've done over the years on this. I think it's one of those projects that years from now, people will look back on. And like you said, why didn't it happen sooner? It's, it's such common sense. And we had a professor on a few weeks ago, doc, I don't know if you know her from NYU, Dr. Anna Tavis. And you know, NYU oh, has really? a, okay. yeah, she has, they have a, a, a data analytics degree yeah. now and it's like wow i said to her man if i was back in school this would be me because you know i'm <laughs> yeah. this overlap i'm this overlap between finance and hr and and some people yeah. say that's a contradiction and, and no not, the evidence supports just the opposite you know right. and so all three of us talking right now are uh, as often happens with our podcasts we're sort of all on the same page so it may not make for as a as a viscous uh, discussion, but uh, that's not our goal. Our goal is to get you know, leading edge information out to our region and, and beyond to uh, improve the HR profession and make people aware. And one of the strengths that Fahad knows and you know, Lee, is we have a fairly young demographic in this part of the world. So they're a bit more malleable to, to some of these ideas that, and you alluded to you earlier, the younger generation and, and their sort of uh, more uh, intuitive dealings with data. So I'm, I'm going to thank you, Lee, and uh, uh, Fahad, thank any you, final thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm good with that. I would just like to remind our audience and listeners uh, just to jump into our website because um, uh, the event and also the podcast will be available at, at our website at the same time. The event, in case if you couldn't make it, it will also get archived into our um, the free uh, training videos but you need to sign up as a member to get it. So even though it's free, but free in return is something, <laughs> obviously. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I would like- Skin to in the game. Exactly. 
So thank you very much, uh, Lee, for the amazing uh, knowledge and insights. And obviously, I have a lot of questions. I would just kind of postpone it till the next session. Super. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank and take you. care. All right, everyone. All right. Tune in. Skill up. Pay it forward. Until next time. Until Tuesday. We will see everyone then. Cheers. Bye-bye, everyone.